Up next on Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff discuss reverse proxies, the pitfalls of self-support communities, and designing for engagement from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. Hey, it's been weeks. Weeks. And weeks and weeks. I, I thought maybe I had imagined that on my vacation, the, the only thing I would want to do, especially because it would be like the middle of the night over there in Europe time, mm-hmm. is get on my laptop and make another podcast. What could be more exciting than that? Well, it turns out sleeping or <laughs> pretty much anything. <laughs> but it could yeah. be. It's the only thing that, that could be worse than recording this podcast is listening to it, so... That's true. Uh, what's what's new? What's all the news? There's probably oh my god, weeks have passed. Three weeks we haven't done a podcast. That's right, three and, weeks. The last one I'm looking here it was August. Wow, twelfth. You know, uh, Europe completely shuts down in August. Like all really? the stores and restaurants and stuff are closed except for a couple of little like tourist traps. And uh, we were in the part of France that doesn't have tourists, so it's just it's closed. I see. But was a a good vacation? Do you do this thing every year? This yeah, yearly. It's is it always a different place? Yeah, it's always a different place. It's... I see. Where has it been in the past? Uh, well, we've done uh, we've done a couple of uh, trips to England. We've done um, the Hamptons. We've done uh, France, Italy. I'm missing something there. I want to say the North Pole, but that didn't happen. So. Can't that, say would that. Be, that would be interesting. <laughs> that would be lying, yeah. Yes. So uh, speaking of traveling, I uh, got my passport stuff mailed in. My oh, passport good. was, the last time I had a passport was in 1998. It's still valid, barely. That For probably now. explains why you think that everybody in the world speaks English. Well, all the cool people speak English. I mean, <laughs> does, uh, I said. does that mean you're coming to the London um, Stack Overflow uh, Dev Days? Uh, I would like to, if... I mean, I'm I'm hoping like six weeks is enough time for this passport to get back to me. Yeah. Uh, because I what? sent in my old passport. It's like a form you fill out, and we got passport photos taken. And let me tell you, there's nothing funnier. We actually had a passport photo taken for Rock Hard Awesome, yeah. Henry. There's nothing funnier than taking a baby's picture for a passport. You can because <laughs> they have no idea what's going on. You <laughs> know, you don't like, look here, look here. <laughs> And it's literally the funniest. I'll actually put it in the show notes because I think it's hilarious. Are you telling me that Rock Hard Awesome has never had a picture taken? No, he's had plenty of pictures taken, but not a passport photo. Not a a formal, you know, authenticated government document. There's there's no such thing as that. You know what? Let me tell you a secret. If when they ask you that when you fill out that form for your passport and stuff, you can just you can just print out a picture on a on a nice sheet of glossy paper on an inkjet printer and send it in, and they'll use that. Yes. No, that's what I did actually last time, back in the dark ages of 1998. I actually <laughs> did that myself, believe it or not. Did you, did you look like one of those, 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 those photos they use in the ads for classmates? 
where it's like your funny old high school graduation picture and you got the old pictures of mullet. <laughs> Did you have a mullet? No, I didn't have a mullet. <laughs> I look just, you know, 10 years younger. I'm old and stinky now, as are you. So. <laughs> it's the downside of old photos. But yeah, the, the goal is for me, I, I would like to go to the uh, London. And I guess, I, and, and, uh, as others have pointed out, if I go to London, I might as well go to Cambridge because it's I mean, there. It's right there. Yeah. You know, unless I had a grudge against Cambridge, which I might. You know, by the time, by the time you get there. <laughs> Speaking of more England news, yeah. So traffic was way down Monday, which was kind of annoying because we've been doing a lot of changes, which I'll talk about. And one of the things I like about Monday and Tuesday, other than Monday's, you know, mm-hmm. exciting day. I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah, lasagna. Uh, lasagna. That's where I was going. Actually, <laughs> I hate Mondays. <laughs> uh, is that it's a good workout for the system because a lot of times we put in changes over the weekend because yeah. it's slow and we want to see what's going to happen with these changes, uh, particularly as we've been running kind of hot lately. You know, we're starting to think about adding that second server, so we're trying to see how long we can go. <laughs> right. There's some variables there. Uh, but so I was really disappointed to see Monday, like, traffic was way down, like, ridiculously down. I was like, what the heck is going on? And Jeff Dalgus did some research. I guess there was some holiday in England. No. I think. We think. Uh, we, we have very shocked. limited knowledge of what's going on. I am shocked. But did you know there was a holiday? I was not in England. I was already okay. back in New York. But this, this Monday, like holiday. yesterday. There's some holiday, theoretically, that was yesterday, Monday. Yeah. And, and a, a big percentage of our traffic is, in fact, from the UK. It's probably have, something like, I don't know, let's think of something funny for England. The Queen's... Um, Dental, dental work. Queen's, the Queen Queen's crumpets. Something, something, <laughs> I don't know. Queen's crumpets. Yes, I don't even know what we're talking about. This They're going to take away my passport. Yeah, yeah. So that was dis- that was disappointing. The traffic was down, but I- hopefully it'll be back up. Um, so let me talk about one thing we did. Actually, we we've been. It's funny how the further we get into this. Remember how early on you were like, you know what you should do, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> in your Joel Spolsky voice, you should use that authorization provider in .NET. You know, an ASP.NET authorization, all that built-in stuff. Did I say that? Because I've already yes. forgotten all In that, that exact voice, you yeah. said that. Okay. And, you know, me, I, I just don't like a lot of the oh, built-in Oh, you sure stuff. I wasn't using my high-pitched falsetto <laughs> English accent? That's uh, still funny. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. So I was against it because I just, I, I like, I figure what we're doing is custom enough already that we would just want a very fine level of control of everything we're doing. Because of the open ID-ness. Yeah, the open ID, et cetera, et cetera. There, there are a bunch of reasons. But it's funny, as time goes on, we keep pulling more and more stuff out that's like built-in stuff that we're not using anymore. And one example of that is Session. Now, hmm. there's something wrong with Session, right? I mean, Session is just a way to maintain state across uh, multiple requests on the stateless architecture of the web. Um, right. The only trouble you get into is because it's in memory, depending on how you configure it, it can be configured to write the database and all that good stuff. But by default, it's it's in memory. So when you do that, you know, you're limiting yourself to that one server. Stuff can disappear. Well, it can disappear and it, it can get weird and, you know, there's mm-hmm. different, a whole different set of mitigation strategies I'm not going to get into that you, there's ways to fix that. So That's what we decided... That's a classic leaky abstraction if I've ever heard of one. What, session? Yeah. Yeah. It like gives you the ability to make a stateful system and yet there are all these instant, now there are all these cases where it doesn't really let you make a stateful system. Well, you can you can configure it to drop in the database. So what we ended up doing was just kind of rolling our own. We thought about like turning on the session thing that puts the session in the database, and then realized that our implementation would be so much lighter than the default implementation, even. So we actually I can imagine that would be that would dramatically increase the number of database hits that you get for per page. We don't actually do that much. See, that's the thing. We actually don't need that much state. There's only 
very limited set of circumstances where we need it. Uh, let me give you some examples. Uh, CAPTCHA is one. Anytime we decide we're not sure if you're a human, mm-hmm. we have to stuff all the stuff you were doing into session so we can get back to it later. And then figure out if you're a human and then, co- and then resume the request later. Mm-hmm. Uh, login is another state like that. And since in our system, login and posting are se- can be the same step. Mm-hmm. Like literally you can like start typing a post. And then say, well, I'm going to log in with my open ID, right? Mm. So then login and posting are now one step for mm. you, which is actually really cool if you guys have ever tried it. It, it does work. Well, there was a bug in it that <laughs> Jeff checked in, but we fixed it. It does work now. Uh, you can actually log in and post in one step. Mm. So th- those are the circumstances. Uh, there might be forgetting one, but there's not very many. We are, there's not many, very many places where we use it. So we were just excited. It's funny how excited I get by the ability to delete stuff from the system. Like, there's nothing more exciting to me than, like, deleting code. I love deleting code. If I could take, like, ten classes and just eliminate them entirely from our project, mm-hmm. I get really excited. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a good day, you know, when I've deleted a whole bunch of code from the system. Yes. So this is sort Very of that elegant. philosophy. Was hey, like why don't you just stuff. make a stack exchange site and just shut down all your code altogether? <laughs> <laughs> Done. Problem solved. Yes. Oh. Well, the other thing this brought up was that, you know, we're running a pretty large-scale website now because we're I know. we think we're going to get to a million hits. We haven't quite gotten there, but we we're, we're really going to get there for sure today. Yeah, this week, I think. Maybe this week, well, but for sure this month. Holiday in England. Yes, and that makes us like a top almost a top 1000 website on the internet, surprisingly. Yeah, we're we're uh, what did Quantcast say number 1215 according yeah, to Yeah, we're getting up there. Goofy which metrics. is and cool. It it is cool, but one thing I wanted to point out is you're, that you're right up there with omg.yahoo.com. <laughs> That's true. It's very true. Uh, but w- one of the long-standing concerns I have, and this probably isn't new, is that the way we run the site locally uh, to get these kind of scale numbers and stuff, you start doing things that are different than the way you would do them if you were building some little local site. Oh, like yeah. when you said. Hey, Jeff, you know, in your Joel Spolsky voice, why don't you use that .NET authorization provider? That makes total sense if you're building Stack Exchange. I think it makes much more sense than, mm. than what we were doing. All right, I'll um, tell Aaron. And stuff like disabling session, like, I don't think would matter for most Stack Exchange sites. Um, we definitely had, I mean, there's certain things like that that we're, we're starting to see, because Fogbugs is, is Fogbugs, but, and it used to be hosted by our customers, but there's also Fogbugs on Demand. And Fogbugs on Demand is starting to get to the scale where it's actually worth it to us to spend time uh, uh, doing the work. kinds of things that large-scale sites do, which yes. nobody internally is ever going to have on their Fogbug server because they're going to have max right. 400, 500 users. So exactly. the stuff like having a static server and putting your little icons on a different domain and that kind of stuff. Uh, exactly. Like that's just complication for a local internal site. Sure, and it and it only starts. With, and the truth is, and this is just like I, now I'm kind of stepping back and doing the big old pontificator kind of thing. Microsoft development tools have always been application development tools, not system development tools, for the most part. Certainly, the well, no, I'll take that back. There, there are always two kinds of development: systems development, where you're building like an operating system or a compiler or something that a million people are going to use, versus application development, where you're building something to do the accounting for 48 people in a department somewhere. And there, there have always been sort of separate tool sets for both of those people. So inside Microsoft, the difference between Visual Studio, sorry, with Visual C, C Visual C++, uh, uh, those were the system tools, but then then Visual Basic and later .NET. Those are the application tools. They're really designed mostly for, for in-house software, not for like, you know, 
they're, they're designed for ease of programming more than runtime efficiency, among other things. And uh, they've done a pretty good job. You know, both tool sets do a pretty good job of supporting both communities. And I'm uh -huh. sure that there are lots of people that would say that .NET is a great language for writing an operating system in. But, you know, it's not. Sing singularity. Yeah. What's singularity? That there would only be one language that would... Well, singularity is the name of the research project, which it's an operating system built entirely in managed code. Oh, dear. Mm -hmm. Heavens, that sounds like trying to write one of those, um, like, paint programs using JavaScript and HTML. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's cool, but why? Anyway, um, how did I get onto that? Oh, so, so, the, so, so the default is that .NET by default is going to tend to give you things that are easy to program, easy to use, not necessarily the most efficient, and certainly not necessarily designed for a top 1,000 website. Right. That's that's what we're sort of running running into now is we're we're optimizing for our specific case, which is we have right. these fairly high scale. And then the funny thing is, like super user and and to lesser extent serverfall have much lower traffic levels. So they're like our our CPU chart for those those sites is like non-existent, right? Because <laughs> right, the traffic is just not high enough. So we're like optimizing the crap out of the code base, and uh, it's working great on Stack Overflow. We've made some huge uh, improvements in performance. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I I don't know if it would matter. It's, it ends up being a micro-optimization unless you have this big scale. Sure. So it can feel a little dirty is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> now, that said, we, we, so now we have a situation where we can actually add the second web server because a uh, session is written to the database in the, in the situations that we need it. And that's mm -hmm. up and running and working. And we've actually been playing around with that. Do you remember our podcast with Reddit where they talked about their uh, HA proxy they were using? So we're looking at that, and it turns out you have to, there's something called tproxy you have to also put in there, because one of the problems with a proxy is that everything looks like it's coming from the same IP address, which really? is Really? The they don't pass that along somehow? Well, there's a way to get it to work. That's what tproxy does. So you have to make sure you have the right kernel level and stuff, because it takes like kernel level support, because there's so many IP addresses in flight. Um, but we do have that set up and running. And we're going to, over this Labor Day holiday, which is this weekend, we're going to try to get our second Stack Overflow server up and running to split the load. Hmm. Um, now, the other thing that can get weird is because we're caching so much stuff locally, we don't have a shared cache implementation. We don't have the velocity or, and I, I forget this every time. Hadoop. Uh, it's not Hadoop. It's something else. Velocity. Or no, no velocity. Oh. Memcached. Memcached. Oh. That's what I'm trying to think of. <clears throat> Where you treat memory as one giant blob. We've talked about this on previous podcasts. We don't need to belabor it. But the situation, uh, it is sticky. Uh, HA proxy has a mode where it'll hash the IP address. Mm -hmm. And the server you arrive at depends on the hash of your IP address, which is, you know, that's good enough sort of splitting for us. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if you do happen to ping pong between servers, there are some edge conditions where it can be a little weird because slightly different stuff will be cached on one server than another. Nothing that would really break you. Um, but we're, we're going to find out what that's like over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while well, traffic is low and sort of see where we're going from there. I don't but, think, I think it's, I think it's kind of, it's, it's pretty exotic. Do you think? I, I don't know. I used to happen to people on AOL all the time. So what we're talking about, just to clarify here, is the possibility that you're sitting there using, you're sitting at a computer and you're browsing away on stackoverflow.com and so you're making all kinds of requests to the web server and they're coming in and by the time they arrive at us they appear to be coming from different IP addresses, right? 
Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Be That's and the one reason way is because you, maybe your ISP, the only possible reason is that you're on AOL. Uh, historically, is the only people that ever did it. And your ISP has got like four I, you know, IP addresses that they, that they show everything to the outside world, and they just kind of assign you to one at random. Or like, like what AOL used to have in the old days, I don't know if they still have this, they, 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 they operate a gigantic, uh, um, what, what am I looking for, proxy server that talks to the internet for you Right. And it does all kinds of compression. Like it used to be because so many people on AOL were on modems that they would download all the images. Their proxy server would download all the images and then recompress them at higher compression. So everybody on AOL had these butt ugly copies of all the images, but they were like less bytes. So let's explain to the kids what this is. This is like Facebook before there was Facebook. You're saying <laughs> AOL. this was AOL was Facebook it back was in the day. Kind of MySpace. Yeah. And the people had these things called modems. Modems. Yes. Modem. <laughs> God, I do not miss modems. I was just thinking about that the other day. <laughs> I remember the first time no, I switched don't. to high-speed internet was like, gosh, I guess 1998. Okay, Grandpa. So anyway, so you're going to put it in a new... <laughs> what? Yeah, it's I've had 10 years of high-speed internet. That's a big deal. Anyway, continue. Uh, yeah, it was just a grand, old, old Grandpa story. People always cut me off when I try to tell those stories. Okay, fine. Proceed. Getting back. No, you're the one who's telling stories. So you're going to put these. You're going to. We're going to have. Oh, okay. So, so I was explaining to to our listeners that that we the 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 problem is that certain things. If you're assigning a user to a particular CPU based on their incoming IP address, then then they will based or based on a hash of their IP address. But the the truth is the problem is severely mitigated or extremely mitigated, which means made better, right? solved. The problem is mostly solved if you only look at the first three bytes of the IP address instead of the full four bytes in doing that hash function. Because the chances are, even these people that are hopping from IP address to IP address, certainly at AOL or at corporations that have a big bank of squid servers or whatever it is that they have, uh, at least they'll mostly be coming in from the same class C. That is the same 256 you right. know, uh, IP addresses. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And so the load servers that I've seen always have this, like, you know, make sure that everybody that's coming in from the same class C at least always goes to the same machine. Yep. And that um, pretty much eliminates the problem. And if that doesn't eliminate the problem, and just to tell you how, you know, one thing that I know, which is I, I found kind of interesting, is when they were building um, the first airplane internet system, which was Connection by Boeing, um, which they eventually shut down, but it was a satellite system, so you could get onto the internet on your airplane. And bizarrely enough, they shut that system down, and now there are two new systems that people have built, but that one never paid for itself or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, when they were building that, I do remember reading all kinds of interesting architectural papers talking about the extreme lengths that they went. You, you're, you're on an airplane. You've got, you got a, your internet session going here. You're talking to a satellite. And as the plane moves around the world, you're talking to different satellites. And these satellites are all communicating with different base stations around the world because it was truly global. And uh, these base stations are then connected to the Internet. But then they had to route you to, like, Boeing headquarters in, you know, Washington State, wherever it was, Everett, uh, just so that you could always have the same IP address. So that your airplane, which is basically moving from satellite to satellite, can can present itself on the, the internet with the same IP address. And they actually went to all that trouble to do that because they just thought that so many things would break if your IP address were constantly changing. Well, we've, we've touched on this on previous podcasts. And I, I do think it, 
is dangerous. Uh, I actually don't know what the behavior would be, but I suspect it would be bad for certain websites. Um, certainly for us, if you're bouncing from server to server, you will see some anomalies. I don't think there will be anything that would break you. Um, yeah. But I think you'll see some discrepancies in the data that we show. Well, we'll find so, out, but I don't think it's yeah. going to be that common. Well, I'm, I'm excited, though, because remember when we talked to the Reddit guys, they said your big scaling, and this is common knowledge, but still, it's, it's important to emphasize this. You know, your big scaling milestone is getting your stuff running on more than one server. Because once you do that, you've basically solved your scaling problems as far as websites go. So there's a website, but then you've got the database. We got the database. Now, the database site is actually scaling. I've got to say, SQL Server 2008 plus the, remember, we upgraded to 48 gigs of memory. Right. I mean, we're not even close to maxing that thing out. And cool. our, our, what I would do there when we run into that, which I don't think that'll even happen this year, actually. Um, but if we did, I would just split off some of the databases on a second server. Because like, right now, it's, it's one, one database per oh, website. Okay. So Stack Overflow would have its own private server at that point since it's the largest site. That would give All us the another other little sites. 10%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it uh, would help. But you know what I found was you know, shocking? By the time we hit that, we might be able to buy some larger piece of hardware that can do more transactions. Uh, we actually did a good job in terms of uh, the software, the, the hardware that we bought. I think we No, bought. but I'm saying once we hit 100% on that, there, there, there could be something out on the market that we can buy that has you know 18 CPUs and 43 Oh, totally. No, there's points. there's definitely room for growth there because we haven't even Intel has that new chip architecture, the i7, which is much better on the server than the client, and uh, that is just sort of now sort of trickling down to the server side, and that's actually a dramatically better server chip. You can get some really huge really? performance out of that. What is i yeah. i7? Is like the next. Generation. It's that they're just marketing name, but they moved the memory controller in in into the chip, and they made a lot of changes that ended up making it much better for servers. Okay. Uh, but on the desktop, it's kind of a ho hum proposition, in my opinion. Uh, but on the server, it's a totally different story. Can you get like, these yet? You can, but they're just they're at the ridiculously expensive level still. Right. Because the, you know how server stuff is. Once you put the magic server word on it, the price goes up fifty percent. Yeah, people usually buy servers for they they, they have a longer life cycle. Uh, like the people expect their server to last for five or six years, and so they're more willing to pay extra to have that extra fourteen percent CPU speed or whatever it may be, just because yeah. they really want to eke out the full you know five to ten year life cycle of a server. Right. Whereas with the desktops, they're like, you know, they're just always imagining it's a secretary on Facebook. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty disposable. Um, so all the changes we've made, uh, I, I'm a fan of. I mean, we went through several rounds of really just little optimizations based on what we were currently doing mm-hmm. to give us some headroom. But the, the, well, it's not really a problem. But what we're actually running into now is we have so much traffic that the one server is adequate. I mean, it can handle the traffic load that we have. Mm-hmm. even at a million page views per day, um, unless something really odd happens. Uh, but really, honestly, the wild card is kind of Google at this point. <laughs> because when Google hits us, they something happens. I think when you become like a top-tier website, Google right. sees that. And all of a sudden, they kick into like hyperdrive on yeah. you. Not, now, they will respect the limits that you set. Like if you go to the webmaster right, control tools. panel and you say, no more than two hits per second, it will totally respect that, to be clear. But they will... They're really aggressive about hitting you. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I kind of wish you could sort of schedule their traffic a little bit better. And you'd sort of alluded to like having a private server for Google, which is less crazy than it sounds, by the way. Well, I'll tell <laughs> First you how I was to like, schedule That's crazy. It. I can tell but you right now was... how to schedule it. Uh, how are you generating that sitemap? The sitemap is kind of protected at this point. We're not, we're not really having a problem with the sitemap. No, I know. But how do you generate it? 
Uh, what do you mean? How do I do Is generate? it dynamically generated? Like when you when they hit the sitemap URL, it is, but it's you dynamically really, generate it? really optimized. That's like a hand-optimized routine. Okay, so that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that the way you can schedule Google is that you continue to hand them the exact same sitemap every oh, single day until you want them to update. And maybe you do it overnight, maybe you do it on weekends, and then all of a sudden the sitemap changes, and they're like, uh-oh, all kinds of new stuff here, and that's when they hit you. Really? I, I would guess, right? Because the first thing they do is get the sitemap to see what's changed. Mm. Well, we only our sitemap only includes the first 50,000, the most recently 50,000 things that changed. Oh, really? Because Well, yeah, because I wasn't going to generate. I mean, at some point it becomes ludicrous. Doesn't that mean that they the forget all the other, they don't see all the other stuff? No, they do, but they should oh, they be do. spider Anyway. Oh, they get that from this. I thought I thought if there was a site sitemap there, that would sort of override the spidering. I well, maybe my understanding of this is wrong. Here's the way I look at it: the the, the sitemap is for stuff that really has changed recently. That that is the churn. This is like the new stuff and stuff mm. that's churned. Oh. Fifty thousand links is a lot. First of all, right? I mean, we don't get fifty thousand questions in a day, nor do we have fifty thousand things that are changed on a question. In no, a day. I know, but but I was just afraid that like if a question hasn't been looked at for three days, does that mean? It's not on our sitemap, so Google's like, oh, page doesn't exist, bye-bye. And then it stops to get indexed. No. Google, oh, okay. is, Google is, like I said, really aggressive about keeping things up to date in their index. I mean, almost, almost too much so in terms of managing the site traffic. So that's, to my mind, that's really why I want to get the second server up, is to give us some breathing room with regards to Google. So, because, I mean, 90% of our traffic is Google. So let's be honest. Like, this is the hand that feeds huh? us, Oh, right? you mean it's coming from Google yes. viewers. In other yeah. words, 90% sure. of the traffic literally, is people coming in through Google search. And, and this is not shocking, right? When no. we sat down to design Stack Overflow, what do, what do we say? We said... Google is the user interface. Google, right. The user interface is the search engine, right? right? So we're totally down with that. We totally support that. Um, but in order to give us breathing room to get those kind of really aggressive indexing that Google like desperately wants to do to us, yeah, because um, I had to actually turn it down in the control panel, and now Google complains. It's like we can't spider you fast enough. I'm surprised there isn't some kind of. Uh... <laughs> they send us. These, they send me these little plaintive automated emails about we would love to spider, you, <laughs> you know. But I'm like I can't because you guys hit us too hard. Who, like, if there's <laughs> anybody listening who works at Google or knows somebody at Google, or oh, don't don't say that because there'll be. No, don't say that. Yeah, they'll come we, over and they'll help us. No, but we, no, it's no, good. We, no, we got it. Good. We're good. So we just need the second server. Got it under control. Just need some more. Yeah, we, exactly. I, I, it seems like there should be some kind of a fire hosey kind of thing where if you're cooperating with a spider, you know, we're talking about like the top 2,000 sites in the world or the sites with the most traffic and the most yes. uh, changing things right. where they can just kind of call us and get a list of things that have changed that are just like literally the changes. That is what the sitemap is to me. It's the most I recent. I realize that, but that's not that's not really the way it's documented. I mean, it's sort of documented as if it was a map of your whole site. Well, I just I, I thought it was ludicrous to have like and a site the, map of like three hundred thousand things. It's like this is stupid. I don't know, but when I kept reading the documentation, they're like, "What if you have three hundred thousand things?" And I'm like, "Well, make your site map. There's a way to have a map of site maps, and so that you can make them bigger than." Well, they should be spidering us anyway. I, I think spidering is ultimately. The problem with sitemaps is, you know, it's a trust relationship, and those relationships right. always... Well, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Like, the top thousand sites should just have, a, you know, some kind of deal with Google where you carefully pipe them. Thing. It's sort of like, um, you know, they, I mean, Twitter did this. They had the thing called the Firehose, and the only people that got it was that little company that made Search for Twitter, which they eventually bought, and now nobody gets the Firehose, as far as I know. And the Firehose was just like a way of getting, like, a, a, a direct feed of everything that happened. And with, without that, you couldn't really have an exhaustive search of, of Twitter. Right. You could only do like little queries. 
Well, you would think, okay, so f- I think the current sitemap should be sufficient. If they just pulled the sitemap down every day, they would know from us the 50,000 things that really changed. And everything else on the site really did not change. I mean, right. we have this huge backlog of stuff that's just not, it's just sitting there. Right, 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 right. right so right. they don't need to spider it. I mean, they can if they want to. But, uh, but maybe they do, so that would be bad, so uh, whatever. Anyway, Google's doing a great job. Let me be clear. Big, big fan of Google. Um, but having a second server will buy us the ability to let Google scrape the crap out of us. Okay. Much more. They clearly want to. They're like chomping at the bit to sure. do this. So maybe we could so just the other put thing, that server in the Google data center. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing that happened, we haven't, I don't know, do we talk about super user went public? That actually happened after. We might have mentioned it on the podcast, but I'm looking at the dates here. That was the 18th. Superuser is our new site for everything. Yep. Superuser.com. I have a a listener question about Superuser. Let me me play it. Oh, let's run it. Yeah. Hi, guys. This is Nathan Long from Augusta, Georgia. I have a question about Superuser. Is it valid to discuss questions about iPhone, BlackBerry, and other not exactly computer, but computer-like devices? So I'm having a problem with my BlackBerry. How do I resolve this? Whatever, whatever. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so why don't you answer that, and then I'll say the opposite of whatever you say. <laughs> I know Michael Pryor has very strong feelings on this front. He does, really? I well, go catch okay, up you on. have to have, let, let me just start by saying you have to have a topic, right? I mean, you can't say, let's just talk about everything, because this is the kiss of death. So we have to have a topic. Otherwise, you topic become wiki shows. answers. Today, well, I, answered, s- I answered a question on wiki answers. The question was, why do waiters pour the water out of the pitcher from the side? You noticed waiters doing that? Well. But I, I knew the answer to that. I knew three reasons. Okay. Okay, for our listeners, we can answers. Go on. Uh, the topic we have chosen for super user is computer software or hardware related things. Okay. So with that guiding principle in mind, how does a phone fit in to, does it relate to software or hardware? Computer software. I mean, And I mean traditional computers. Now, not in that, Ambient sense. Ah. Everything's a computer. My car is a computer. Oh, come on. My microwave is a computer. But an iPhone. Okay. That's now, really now, a computer. No, no, no. Let me finish. Let me get where I'm going. All right. So where I'm going is to the extent that the iPhone interacts heavily with the computer, it is valid to talk about it. The more, sure. the more you can relate, like, for example, I'm trying to get my iPhone to sync with iTunes on my computer. That is totally a valid question, right? Okay. Now, if it's just a pure, how do I reset the iPhone? How does that really relate to computers? Like, I, it's definitely a gray area. And I'm very pro iPhone. Like, I love the iPhone. Don't get me wrong. And I think we actually had a question come up on Meta where people tried to nail this down. And uh, it's a gray area, to be clear. But the consensus seemed to be that the the iPod Touch, since it it's not really a phone and it doesn't really, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already kind of struggling with this. You know what? Uh, just leave it in. Just tag it appropriately, and people that don't like it can hide that tag. It just means that it's going to sure be – the odds of it being closed are much higher. Um, yeah. And the more you can relate it to computer software hardware, the better off you will be. Okay. That's, that's think, my piece. Uh, well, in order to be contrary, and I think all such questions are welcome. Welcome. Well, I would, I would actually argue that if you're going to have a mobile phone site, you should really make that the topic. I think you'd have a much stronger... Well, we don't community. have a mobile phone site. There probably will be soon. You know, what's going to happen is if we get Stack Exchange, there'll be some mobile phone site that we can point everybody to. Yes. So here's a great opportunity right now. If you, want, if you think you can make a mobile phone site that's better 
than the mobile phone sites that are already out there, which should be pretty trivial because you'd be using Stack Overflow software. Go to stackexchange.com and sign up. Yep. There we go. Uh, I, I have a question about that, actually. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so at what point do we become the evil Apple where somebody goes and sets up a Stack Exchange on some topic? Yeah. Uh, and we decide, hey, that's a really good topic. <laughs> we're going to do that, that ourselves. That we're going to launch uh, not that we would go out of our way to do this. I want to be clear. Like that's n- in no way is my goal. And beyond the trilogy, it becomes very fuzzy for me in terms of what where we're it going. It does, right? We're going to have to see which ones work really well on Stack Exchange and do those. <laughs> like I, I don't want to do a gaming site because that's just been done to death, and I'm just not really. I, I love games, but I just I don't want to run a gaming site because it's a it's a very high noise proposition. Like you'd have to ride herd on it really hard. Mm. Because you get so many just like little kids and just people, very immature people. And not that gamers aren't great people because I'm a gamer, but it's a difficult community to write hurt on. Interesting. Uh, in my opinion. So I, I think I, I that, wouldn't yeah. Sign. These things, you know, these things, as, as, as we fully admit, the, the success at failure of these things is based on whether or not you can create a community. And just because you've made a site, if you've made a site on Stack Exchange and you've got a great community for cooking or for iPhones or for whatever – and, and, and the community's there, the chances that we could do something that would then take away your community uh, are, are very slim, right? Because you've got the critical mass. Yep. So, somebody, like, honestly, I can say right now, I, I don't know that we're planning to do a photo site. You know, it's not, it's not, not our strength, it's not our audience and so forth. But I, I think pro photography is just ideal even prosumer photography is just ideal for a stack overflow type of site and these communities are out there i mean there's everything there's you know dp review there's photo.net which is the granddaddy of all internet community sites that phil greenspun created a million years ago before even ars digita there's uh um um i don't know what are the other photography sites see i don't even know but um but uh um you know, somebody could do one on Stack Exchange or with their own software that is uh, a Stack Overflow-like photography site, and the chance that we'd ever be able to catch up with that is pretty slim. And once you once you hit critical mass, you know, that's it; it's kind of over. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. So I don't I mean, really think we have an opportunity. People coming in should definitely know that the software is the easy part, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and certainly you have the benefit of our you know highly tuned stack. We've been talking about how much we we spend tons of time tuning it and tweaking it. Right, right. Um, but yeah, building the community—that's really the art. And and even using us as an example, where you know we've done a good job with Stack Overflow, but certainly it's been a little bit of a struggle. It takes time for us to bring up server fault and super user. I mean, those are tiny fractions of the traffic of Stack Overflow. I mean, I love both sites, and I. I I continue. They're for me. Like I, I yeah. built them because I know they're going to work. They they're going to work. They do work. They have enough critical mass. And you know what? The, the, those are server faults. Uh, well, the system administration is just a smaller field. There are fewer practitioners than uh, programming. Um, but I, but so I, I just want that site to be smaller. I just want to set the tone for people that you know building these communities is hard, even with like sure, these huge sure. advantages that we have. You know, having right. this other large site, having right. these big online personas, even right. for us, it's still somewhat of a challenge. And it takes time and it takes effort. Right. And, I mean, this is an ongoing thing. So, so where we are today, I think, is that SuperUser and uh, Stack Overflow, uh, sorry, SuperUser and ServerFault are the ideal sites for when Stack Overflow users want to talk about system administration or computer problems. Yes. 
that's really the kind of the core audience, which is like once you're in the Stack Overflow community, you want to talk about that other stuff. It's a little bit off topic. Here's a great place to do that. And they haven't probably yet created their own mass uh, of a community that's kind of standalone that doesn't even know about Stack Overflow that just pays attention to server fault or super user. But that's kind of the next, that should be kind of our next goal. I mean, maybe that's what we should spend our time doing is finishing the sites that we've made rather than just kind of trying to knock off ones like photography where we have no hope. Well, that's true. And I want to also reassure people that this is in no way our, our goal. Like, I, I literally have no plans in terms of n launching new sites uh, beyond the trilogy and then our Christmas special, Meta. Um, and then, of course, we have our League of Justice. And even then, like, I, I think How to Geek and Doctype are filling the roster pretty well. It's not like I'm looking to have 10 sites on our footer. <laughs> right. Um, I, I just thought that those were particularly compatible for, for a variety of reasons. Um, and actually, while you were gone, I almost had the opportunity to have a podcast with the Doc Type guys, but I got sick, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. So maybe at some point we can do that. That might be fun. All right, sign them up. Yeah. So super user launch. That was a good topic. And then Stack Exchange. People have been asking about Stack Exchange. Yeah, I, I guess micro. Well, you, that's my wanna... my job to tell you what's going on with Stack Exchange. I okay. I, I uh, Aaron came in this morning and told me tomorrow we're gonna we're gonna. Uh, so it was one day late. Uh, we're going to start the beta. And um, what we have, we have a really long list of people that have already signed up for sites. And you can still sign up for sites, I believeave uh, by the time you hear this podcast, you can still sign up for sites at stackexchange.com. And what we're doing is we're basically just rolling the beta out to people on a first-come, first-served basis. And we don't have anywhere near the capacity to handle everybody that's signed up for a site uh, on, on day one. So um, if, you're, if you have signed up, you know, it may be... Um, I can't even tell you where you are on the list and how long it's going to take, but it, it could take us a month or two to get through that list and uh, get everybody live on the beta. But we'll um, work through them as fast as we can. Uh, one thing uh, which I've learned about beta testing is that uh, when you're doing a beta, you never want to – you've got a limited number of people that sign up for the beta and are interested in participating in the beta. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of beta – I guess I should clarify because the word beta has changed – but we old people, we ancient mariners, when we talk about a beta, we mean uh, you've done all the testing you can internally. You're pretty sure it works, but you want to get it out to some outside customers because they're bound to find things that you never tried. They're going to be trying to do stuff that never occurred to you to try to do, and they're going to find some bugs. And that's So it's, that's actually like a technical beta where you're releasing your product to some limited number of customers so they can try it and tell you about any bugs that you can fix before you impose it on the whole world. So that's the way I'm using the word beta, as opposed to... The new way of using the word beta is just like Gmail for its first five years or whatever. It's right. like the first five years in which a product is out there and you put a little beta tag, which basically means we're not really responsible. We're not going to listen to your bug reports, but it's not our fault. Sorry. Which uh, I, I, I try not to use that term. So, um, so uh, the beta, if you're doing a beta, an old school beta, um, then what I've discovered over the years is that you have a finite number of people that – will even sign up for such a thing and want to participate in that. And they're going to um, give, you know, and only a percentage of them are even going to bother reporting bugs that they find. So you maybe if you if you release a beta to 100 people, you might hear from 10 of them. Cool. Now, you're going to use probably bug bugs for that, right? I mean, sure. Naturally. So for, yeah, I for guess we got to set bug that up. reports and feedback and yeah. stuff. Yeah. It won't. Uh, people don't know. I mean, we just set up an email address and like send an email address to such and such, and then that goes into fog bugs. Now, as far as general discussion of Stack Exchange, you can continue to do that on Meta. Just tag it appropriately. But yeah, I think Aaron for, for bug reports, I am going to ask people to make sure they use the official blessed 
bug yeah, bugs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll have a we'll have a reporting mechanism for bug reports because otherwise it's just not you can just get lost. Right, we can't. Yeah, uh, and you know there'll be people looking at it every day. But uh, so, I, but I just want to make that clear. So, if they want to discuss or <laughs> stuff like that, then go to Meta. If they have an actual bug or something they think's wrong, go to right. Fogbugs StackExchange.Fogbugs.com or whatever it is you're going to set up. Well, we'll set up an email alias, I think, or, or something in the user interface will be like, "Click here if you have a bug." I don't know. The, the, the email will have instructions. So, right. um, uh, but um, what, 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 what's important is that you not give the beta to everybody, the first beta to everybody, because if you do. Uh, they're all going to try it. They're all going to find the same three bugs. They're all going to report those three bugs to you. And then they'll all feel like they've done their, their beta testing job. And they won't ever report any future bugs they find. And then what's going to happen is two weeks later, you're going to be like, all right, fix those three bugs. You're going to re-release it to all the same people. And you're going to tell them, okay, I released it. Let me know if I find any other bugs. And th those, those same people are mostly going to feel like, you know, I don't really have time to hunt around for more bugs. It worked for me. I'm moving on with my life. And um, uh, they, they sort of become... You, most beta testers, especially volunteer beta testers, are like single-use pads. You know what I mean? You use them up, and then they're, they're, they, they report their bug, and that's all you're going to get out of them. And so um, what's very valuable is to increase the size of your beta every time you have a new bug fix release. So if you're doing a new bug fix release every week or two uh, or every three weeks, which is usually more realistic, um, then every three weeks you, you re-release to all the people you've already released to, and you add another 100 200 beta testers. Uh, and that way you've got a bunch of fresh people who are seeing it for the first time. And those people are going to put a lot of effort into actually testing it out and trying it and letting you know how good it is. So that's uh, what we will do with uh, Stack Exchange. And um, um, again, Stack Exchange is a paid service, so it's, uh, it's going to be free throughout the beta process. Mainly because we haven't been able to get the billing system hooked up properly. <laughs> right. I saw Michael's been answering questions on uh, Meta, which I appreciate because I, I have no visibility into people email me and I'm like I, I don't know I yeah. don't know what the status is. I mean, we have an interaction with the uh, the Stack Exchange developer, which I'm still uncomfortable revealing him because uh, I don't know. I guess he would reveal himself if he wanted to. Uh, I thought he uh, did, didn't he? Didn't he tell people? I what his haven't name was seen on it. So, and, uh, but yeah. if he wants to go on Meta and say, hey, you know, th th that's completely up to him. But um, we do have interactions with him, and we we. <laughs> Make sure that he's in the loop as far as what we're doing with code and so What on you so should forth. do, I hate, to, I hate to turn this into an advertisement for Fogbugs, but if you use Fogbugs for your team at stackoflow.com thingamajiggy mm -hmm. instead of whatever not Fogbugs is that you're using it for, right. then all you'd have to do is hit assign and just assign it to Aaron and that would be dealt with, or Michael or whatever, and, and, and then we wouldn't right. have to like, you wouldn't have to like forward the email and try to track it and all that kind of stuff. Well, most of the stuff I try to shunt to meta though. I mean, I try to keep out of email. I mean, that's where the one of the reservations I have about bug bugs. I don't like this email stream of tracking events. Like, I think email is so broken that any system that touches it is kind of broken also. <gasps> yeah. All right. I mean, uh, but I think for, but you gotta realize, this is again, well, no, 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 let me, let me take a step back. There's a very big <laughs> bifurcation between what we do and what you do. You have a product that you sell. And we to have people. to support it. And you and have support, support, and that's totally... And they email you with support, and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Whereas we're building this public website, which is kind of ad-subsidized. It's not really supported in the sense that we're going to come to your house and fix it for you. You have to go to the... We're building a community. It's a very different thing. So sure. I, when I say these things, it's not that you're doing it wrong or that I'm doing it wrong. It's that we have very different products, ultimately, that we're putting out into the world with very different business models. 
Um, so that's part of my hesitation with fog bugs is I think for for this business model, I'm not sure. That's kind of a good point. It's the whole, uh, you know, we could I could go into a long rant now if I wanted to about the. Uh, no, you um, don't. You don't do that. Google. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> Because Google okay. is trying to take your approach to customer service in general, even with like their paid customers and people that they have business relationships with through AdWords and AdSense, and their 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 goal is like as little email as possible. Let's get these people on the automated system and reading the FAQs and stuff like that. And uh, it's just incredibly, incredibly frustrating to people when they need to get through to Google about an important business relationship. Well, I'll tell you why that is, though. Uh, the, the thing that Google gets wrong, and sometimes they get it right. It, I think it depends. They're becoming like Microsoft, where some of the stuff they do is working and some isn't. Yeah. But I think what Google gets wrong is that the community wants a sense of involvement. They don't mind if you give them, like, for example, Meta, when we set up Meta. You know, the intent of Meta is for us to go there and actually build some of the stuff that they're talking about and react and actually implement those features, right? Mm. Um, and gauge the feedback from the community and they have a real stake in this process now granted we can't always do i don't want to piss people off on meta because we can't yeah, do, everything do everything you guys want. want us to do yeah. right we can't do it and some of it doesn't make sense and but there's some ideas there we really like yeah. right and there has to be some agreement about what's going on and stuff like that so i think when the community feels powerless when they feel like okay you've given us these padded rubber rooms <laughs> right sort of bounce around in harmlessly but you're not really listening to us you're right. not doing anything with us. You're just kind of giving us a rubber room to bounce around. <laughs> and I think Google does that to its customers too much, mm -hmm. where they have no stake in the development. Google has this, you know, mysterious process. They're very secretive. They, they get this bad aspect of Apple, where they become very secretive. It's not just uh, that. No. We're talking about people who are, like, literally writing large checks to Google every month, or receiving large checks from Google every month. Or, even worse, they're receiving large checks from Google every month, and then suddenly it stops. And Google is just saying, ah, read the FAQ, read the FAQ, and they're just not getting any information. It's like, why did you cut off my AdSense site? Please tell me, and I will fix it. Wow. Yeah, there's, and, there's some deep the, pathologies the, there. And, 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 and the problem is that Google has sort of built a lot of business relationships on the model of it being completely automated, which is awesome, and it's saving them a lot of money. But it's also uh, not providing a level of customer service which anybody is used to. And so they're basically becoming – I hate to say this, but you know, there's certain, there's certain industries – where you know if you have a problem with this industry, like if it's the cable companies, it's the telephone companies, it's the cell phone companies, uh, where you know if you're having a problem, you're going to be on hold for like four, or the airlines, you're going to be on hold for an hour and a half, the person is not going to help you, they're going to be useless, they're not going to speak English, and, and, and you just know that the customer service cannot possibly be good. <laughs> Nothing good can possibly come out of having to call your cable company with a routine problem. Google needs a lot more people like, you know, Matt Cutts, who's like their sort of their public face of their search engine. Yeah, you can't engine. do that with one person. That's ridiculous. No, that, well, have... that's, let me finish my thought. Oh, okay, you sorry. need a lot of people like Matt Cutts. Yeah. I mean, Matt Cutts is an exemplar of what you need a lot of. Right, right, you need right. a lot of people, and Microsoft actually does this really well. They have all their yes. community evangelists. And... Oh, I cannot, this is, this is something, whatever you think about Microsoft, just try calling de developer support sometime. And you will be blown away because yeah, very actually. quickly, you won't have to wait. You will be talking to a person who is trying to figure out who to route you to. And that person will understand what you're saying. They will not be completely clueless when you're saying you're using, you know, biz talk central server 2005 SP1 and you're programming it in C sharp and you want to know about the .NET interfaces. They'll understand that and they know what all those things mean and they'll, they'll be trying to – and th this person will get you to a, a person who, who can actually help. And that person, if, if they – realize when you call with a developer request, developer support request, you're talking to programmers very, very soon. And if they can't help you, 
it, it, it's really like a matter of hours before you're talking to somebody on the development team itself, which is remarkable for a company like, like Microsoft. They introduced a uh, service pack. They changed some DLL and some obscure, rarely used uh, the DHTML edit control, which was one of the old visual basic things that you use to make a little HTML editor uh, control on your on your VB6 form. And they introduced some little change there that was uh, that basically broke existing code, which is very unusual for Microsoft to do. And I, I made a very simple test case that was like four lines of code that showed it happening and went through the usual developer, call the developer channels and just call the number for a developer support incident, which is expensive, by the way. It's like $300 if you don't... Uh, um, if it's your fault, but uh, if it's not your fault, they uh, they comp you. And uh, um, I was talking to an actual developer on the team, like I think within eight hours. So yeah, somehow they have gotten. I mean, it's taken them years, but but Microsoft is so far ahead of Google in terms of being able to provide very very difficult complex technical support. You know, and they charge for it. It's not like it's free. I mean, it's basically I'm pretty sure the product support at Microsoft is just required to break even somehow. Well, isn't this part of the MSDN? Like, when you they can, moved to that subscription-based model where you buy, yeah, you really you buy Visual Studio anymore. Yeah, you used to get five free incidents or something. Like, you call five times or something on that annual membership. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also just pay. And, and people don't, don't, don't even realize, especially developers, they'll spend hours on Stack Overflow trying to get answers to things. And they don't realize that, that, that actually, if you did call Microsoft, you, you would probably be surprised as to what a good result you would get, and you're probably just burned by so many other companies where it's hopeless. You call and you get somebody that doesn't speak English that's never going to be able to provide developer, like, programmer support, right? You call, you, you're talking to some, you know, customer service person that basically all they've been taught is how to refund credit cards. Right. Yeah, I I haven't called Microsoft in a long time, but historically, I, I had I have called them back in the, gosh, the early 90s. They had some, <laughs> yeah. they had some really cool, like, hold... They had like a DJ they had the whole that actually, DJ. yeah, yeah. yeah. They, Microsoft developer support is really underrated uh, as a development company. They're uh, one of the best, if not the best. The, the time to call them is when you're like literally you're not you're not even getting answers on 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 Stack Overflow and stuff because it's usually you're using some 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 API that's very very rarely used. Something has changed. It just feels broken to you. The documentation is not there. The FAQs are not answering it. You're Googling. It's a very specific function name. You've read all 37 results for that very specific function name on Google. You're just not finding it. And then you call them and, wow, you actually get, you know, told that you can't do what you're trying to do <laughs> by somebody who is in a position to know. <laughs> like the more narrow the thing you're doing, the more true that is. Right, right. So do we have any other listener questions? Um, sure, let's take another listener question, uh, if I can just figure it out where it, uh, where it might be. Let's try this one. Oh, here's a question about dev days, which I've been organizing. Um, dev days, dev days, dev days. Hi, Joel and Jeff. Brian Kelly from Washington, D.C. I'm a partner in Hi, a small Brian. software company, and I'm planning on attending dev days from a recruiting standpoint. I was wondering if there will be any formal organization for potential candidates to meet employers and what are your thoughts on that? Love the show. You make my commute a bit more interesting. Thanks a lot. So uh, I haven't known the answer to that. There's actually different levels. Depends on how much recruiting you want to do. If you're really recruiting to, if you're if you're looking to recruit a bunch of programmers, uh, I think it's a great place to do it. And what you should do is you should sponsor uh, one of the snack breaks, the coffee breaks, uh, or the meals um, uh, at, at the conference. And set up a little booth and have 
uh, um, you know, your representative standing at the little booth, you know, meeting people and collecting resumes. And uh, to do that, just email devdays at stackoverflow.com and say, hey, I want to sponsor, you know, the Washington event or whatever the case may be. And um, they'll set you up. And basically what you're doing is paying for coffee for a bunch of people and you'll set up a little booth and you'll get to meet a bunch of people and it'll probably pan out for you. Uh, uh, on a, on a, I mean, the other thing you could do is informally just show up and hold up a little banner saying, I'm looking to hire. Um, what I was thinking of doing, and I can't really make any promises as to how much time we'll have in the schedule to do this, but um, uh, we're going to, I, I want to set up like a community announcements kind of thing where anybody who's going to one of these dev days, if you have an announcement that you can fit on a three by five card that you want to make, uh, we'll try to have some periods where you can just sort of stand up and make your announcement or your pitch to the community, whatever it may be. So you can basically, hopefully, well, you'll be able to stand up. And if you can fit this in like 15 seconds, stand up and say, hi, um, you know, I'm Brian. I work for such and such a company. We're looking to hire the, these kinds of people. You know, please, you know, if you're interested, come to TGI Fridays after the event or whatever the case may be. So um, we'll, we'll have a chance for people to make like real quick announcements uh, you know, that are local announcements to the community that they want to make. And um, we'll try to get in as many of those as we can. I mean, there are going to be hundreds of people there, and we only have one day. So if everybody wants to make an announcement and the announcements go on for too long, it's, it's not going to work. But we'll try to get in a bunch of those. So those are sort of the two main options. Good. So they can just email devdays, right? Devdays at stackoverflow.com. And that'll go and just say I'm interested in, uh, yeah, that goes into a Fogwoods account, which is really cool because... Because it's fog bugs, uh, if you have a question about registration, then Natasha answers it. And if you have a question about sponsorship, then Will answers it. And if you have a question about speaking, then, then Greg answers it. And if you have a question about travel arrangements, then that's Greg, too. And if you have a question about uh, anything else, then I answer it. So we all just sort of poke around in that email alias. Okay, cool. Very good. Um, what else? I guess I want, did I want to say anything else about Dev Days? I've got, we've got you, the the names of the speakers are are starting to be almost completely finalized. Uh, and you're going to blog and put that on the website then. Okay. I mean, but not I, that we can't talk about it now. I the just speakers? Make sure. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to say if you go to the Stack Overflow Dev Days website, if you were wondering who's going to be speaking, the names are starting to show up. Not everybody uh, who is going to speak is. Uh, listed just because there are a few people that we haven't yet confirmed, and I'm still waiting for Google and Nokia to get back to me. We want to get Nokia to send us people to talk about QT, which is a very interesting cross-platform development environment. And uh, and I want Google to send some more people because there's some cities with absolutely no Google representation. It's a disgrace. They tried to send an FAQ. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, that's coming up. So, Because when's the first one? Mid-October? First so one right? is uh, oh, it's real soon. It's like October 2nd? Oh, wow. Holy moly. I need to get my tickets for the uh, L.A. and, well, L.A. leg. What do you want to, are you going to, are you going to, are you going to give a little speech? Do you want to just uh, hang out? What do you want to, what do you want to do? Do you want to do a panel discussion? I thought I'd do maybe a panel discussion of some kind or something. I don't All know. Right. We'll talk about that. The first one is uh, the 7th. It's October 7th in Boston. And then after that, they just, my, my October is just, like, I'm literally not going to be home in October at all. Yep. Because I got all this. We got to figure out what we're going to do with the podcast because there was, you know, we can't have another France. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, let's see. Tuesday, October 27th, I'm going to be on <laughs> British Airways flight 292 on my way from Dallas to. Let's do one on the air, on the, uh, on the plane. <laughs> that will be interesting. Coming to you from the Virgin Upper Class Bar, it's the Stack Overflow podcast. That could work. So uh, that covers Dev Days. Excited about that. 
Uh, one final thing I want to get to before we go. I, d- I did make a few more changes on the website that are sort of more visible than, than other changes that we make. I, I do try to blog. I don't, people have been asking like for a change list and stuff and I'm not really comfortable uh, like sharing our raw check-in notes. Yeah. Just cause who cares? First of all, who cares? Yeah. You guys care too much. If you want to see all our little check-ins, then that's, that's too much. It's yeah. a little weird. Uh, but if it's anything that affects the public functioning of the site to a degree that I think other people would notice, I do try to blog about it. Sure. And one of those things that we changed was we started publishing accept rates for people who ask a lot of questions. And the algorithm oh, here yeah. is really important. It's actually documented on, on the blog. It documents in excruciating detail how we do this and why we do it. But the intent of the feature was just we had a certain class of users that would come to the site and ask lots and lots of questions, which isn't wrong. I mean, you can ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, but they they weren't really engaged with the site. And and one way we noticed this was that they would almost never accept answers to their questions, which uh-huh. that's just a little social convention, right? We've talked about this on the podcast before. The accept is just there to say, okay, this helped me. Thank you. You close the loop socially. It's really a social convention more than a, this is the absolute correct answer. That's what voting is for. Voting is for to show you, you know, the two correct answers, the one you liked as the question owner and the one the community likes. Uh, that's the intent. But for people that didn't accept, we actually show the accept rate for people who've asked more than, I think it starts with four questions. And after those questions have aged, like I said, the algorithm is very detailed. Uh, But the intent is just so that you can see if you're dealing with an involved question asker or if you're dealing with like a drive-by shooting. So where can I give, where's an example where I can actually see this? Any question. Just go to a question on Stack Overflow. As long as the person asking the question... I has see. asked more than four questions. How come That's I don't have it? You haven't asked enough questions, probably. I've asked four questions. Well, probably not. The The other thing we do, I've this is nine. minor. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does show up. Never mind, that was a community question. I have 100% accept rate. Well, that's another part of the algorithm. This doesn't apply to community wiki stuff. There's a lot of rules, so I really encourage you to check out the blog entry. Um, another thing we do, we you know how we highlight the question owner? As uh-huh. the question owner, there's a special highlight applied to your name. Well, we weren't applying that highlight to the comments. Oh. I realized this has been a feature request for months, and I had just kind of forgotten it. Hey, I got a diamond next to my name. What's that? That means you're a moderator. Oh, yeah. We just changed from star to diamond because the diamond is a built-in character. We don't need an image for that, so it's faster. You are kidding. Are you no. serious? There's no star in Unicode? There is, but it's kind of hard to get it to look good. Okay. You know, the whole, you know what the problem is? Windows no. XP and IE6. We have to pick a character that will actually render in that browser on that operating system. Oh. IE6 lacks a lot. Or XP lacks some fonts, actually, compared to Vista and 7. That's Plus, true. You have, to, uh, you, you have to have installed Office to get the full Arial yeah. Unicode and have all those. Unicode. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So that's one reason why we did that. So we actually highlight, if you, if you the question owner, comment, you can sort of see, because there's a nice little visual highlight on all the comments that you leave. Mm-hmm. So you can, again, the goal is if you scan the question, you can see, okay, this is Joel Spolsky. He accepts 100% or 80% or just some reasonable percentage. Yeah, sometimes there is no correct answer. You just can't accept anything. Yeah, that's fine. We don't expect you to accept everything. That's yeah. not the goal. The goal is just to, it's really honestly to highlight the people who are the sort of the problem question askers. People who accept 0%, 10%, 20%. Those are kind of problematic. Let's call some of them out. No, let's not. Uh, <laughs> In fact, I got a phone right here. I'm calling one of them up. <laughs> I doubt you could reach these type of people. Yeah. So as you scan the question, you can see that, hey, this person has commented on every answer. They're really engaged with the question. This is a good sign. So if you're going to ask 
uh, or answer questions, you can see, okay, this is a person who I'm, I'm happy to engage with because they will engage with me. It's all about engagement. It's not about judging a person. Um, it's just that you can scan it and sort of see what's going on. That's all. Okay. okay. Uh, and related to that, uh, we actually have started sorting. So the default sort order on Stack Overflow, if you go into a question, the default sort order is votes, meaning the highest right. voted answers are at the top. Except for the accepted one, which is on top of even that. Yes. And that's the social convention, right? Yep. But even then, they're right next to each other. Yep. So you have the best stuff that is always at the top. That's always the, the main goals of the site. Uh, but then the question becomes, what do you do? Say you have 10 answers, and mm. all the answers have one upvote. Yeah. And you don't have an accepted answer. Oh. Which answer should be on the top? Um, I would say the one that, that, I, that I wrote first. <laughs> It but, should be by reputation. <laughs> yes, by reputation. By reputation. So that's your recommendation. I don't so know. I, you, yeah, this sounds like one of those trick questions. You're going to be like, aha, but if we did that. No, I don't think there is a right answer. Oh. That's what I'm trying to get at is there is no secondary sort that makes sense in my opinion. We, Besides, a long what, what, time you, ago, what about reputation? Do you, do you not think that makes sense? Or No, I definitely am against reputation. I think that's really artificial. Why? Oh, They're all artificial. Let me, let me give you an example. So what we actually used, and this was not really an intentional choice. This was kind of like, what can I implement to get people off my back? Yeah. And it was, the secondary sort was creation date. I think Just ascending. So the newest, the newest responses would be on the top. So that if you were very fast, you would be on the top. Wait, if the and newest people, responses are on the top, then you don't have to be fast. Or oldest. Did I say newest? Oldest. Whatever sort order <laughs> See, I would go with the opposite because then if you've got a whole bunch of ones and people are providing new ones and stuff like that, they're getting churned through on the top there. They're more likely to get looked at and voted upon. Yes. So this led to what people called the fastest gun in the West problem, where right. you had to be first at all costs because right. that gave you the coveted first position on the question, right. on the, in the answers. Where you get looked at. Which, yeah. which isn't, isn't wrong. Like I said, this is not, there's nothing wrong with this. But I, no, I kind but of there's been a lot of com complaining about the fastest gun well, in the West Well, there's a lot of it optimization. There was a lot of gaming that went on around yeah being somebody first. wrote a blog post that was like here's how to game stack overflow first you just want to answer and just put peanut butter and jelly as an answer. <laughs> then wait for some other people to do the research then copy yes. their answers and replace your peanut butter and jelly <laughs> yes mr connection codexon actually was the name of that guy i'll link that in the blog notes as well so after looking at this i realized that what i probably should have done and and what makes total sense to me in retrospect is that the secondary suborder is in fact random meaning if there's five answers and they're all voted one or zero that which one is on top is completely random because the goal what i want people to do when they read the answers is to actually read the answers i don't want them to <laughs> scroll through the first two Mm -hmm. Say, oh, well, those are the first two. Those must be the best. Because it's, there, there's no votes yet. Right? So random means everybody's going to see them in a different order every time they come back? It's gonna That's keep right. Around. Oh. If you, it, well, cool. if you're a logged-in user. Hey, I um, got a question. Yeah. This is probably a Stack Overflow question for this. How did you implement that random sort? Uh, through uh, uh, a Did you search. do order by rand? No. It's a, it's a, I have to look it up. But it, it's, it's the built-in system random function, but it's like a, yeah. A, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, anyway, getting getting back to the sort order. So, every question, every answer should be judged on its own merits, and the good answers really do stand out. Because what I found when I read answers, I look for somebody who put effort into it. Yeah, bullet points. According to that blog post, what you want to do is have a lot of bullet points <laughs> and numbered lists. 
you'll get some <laughs> but they extra. they give you examples they give you some rationale i'm not saying you have to write 10 pages of information yeah, it doesn't have to be right either but you can no, no 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 you can flesh it out later <laughs> but i'm just saying show me that you put some effort into it sure you know and that Absolutely. you care about my question to some limited degree to the extent that you have some slice of time of your life that you're willing to give up and answer my question i appreciate that and i am very willing to upvote any answers like that i mean i, I go to great pains on my Even questions if they're completely wrong I've upvote anything that's reasonably good. Unless it's patently bad, I will vote it up. Because you took your time to answer my question. You're too and I appreciate generous. that. So anyway, there was an unbelievable amount of angst and hand wringing about this new random sword order. I mean, people thought like I had beaten up their dog. Because you done... started sorting randomly instead of by first gun in the Really? Well, they were right. well because they were benefiting from the fastest gun in the West algorithm. Well, I think you still benefit from being fast. That's what I don't get because the faster you post, the more time you have for upvotes, sure. right? Just not. It's just not as hysterical. Yeah, it's not. You know, it, it's it's so much more intrinsically fair that people should be reading the answers. Mm -hmm. You know, and it shouldn't be. Well, you happen to be on top, therefore you win. That's mm -hmm. kind of lame. So I'm with you. Anyway, this is a very belated. Sh this should have happened months and months ago. So I apologize I didn't get to that earlier. But honestly, you know what? this big revelation wasn't like some secret plan I had. I was just looking at the code and realized how easy it would be to have a, a random secondary sword. Sure. This had literally never occurred to me before. <laughs> like, I am just not that bright of a coder, really. So when looking at the code, I was like, wait, I could totally do this, you know? Yeah, who hired you It wasn't anyway? like some grand plan. It's like, I'm going to do this, you know, in January, you know. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so so hopefully the system is a little bit more fair. now. I, I think it's much Makes more sense. fair. I'm totally behind this change. Yeah, so. I guess that makes more sense than reputation. That was a trick question. You tricked me. I didn't trick you. I, I can't believe you went for reputation. That surprises me. Just because, you know, if it's John Skeet is answering a question, it's probably good, right? He's got a high reputation. But that's a, such a bias, though. I mean, you should be reading the goal. It's not a bias. It's a metric. That the, 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 historically, every, all these people are sitting there voting on his questions, and he's been getting them right more often than not for decades. No, people just randomly vote up John Skeet. I'm just kidding. They're like, oh my god, I see a John Skeet answer. <laughs> click, click, click. <laughs> no, John Skeet is great. I'm not knocking John Skeet or any, really any high reputation. A high reputation He's, individual. We shouldn't. But we should. you want the guys who come in later who also provide good answers to be judged on their own merits, not the yeah, fact that Yeah, you're they... right. That is more better. And in fact, uh, the random is the perfect way to do it. And anybody that's ever composed any kind of survey or anything like that knows that you have to do some kind of randomization to eliminate any position effect in a survey. And in fact, you know, um, what uh, Reddit used to have this self-fulfilling prophecy problem where things would just disappear too fast before people had a chance to vote on them, and then good, good stuff would just disappear. And they started putting something up at the kind of the top of the page above the highest voted uh, Reddit submission mm -hmm. just to get that thing some exposure, right? Because you want to sort of take a question and show it to 100 people and see if any of them think it's good. And uh, uh, measure the number of people that, that upvoted and that, you know, when 100 people or 1,000 people look at that question. And kind of every question deserves that, no matter when it or what time of day it arrives or whether it arrives with a bunch of other better stuff or whatever. You want to, you know, it should get a little bit of votes. You can decide if it even deserves to move up to the front page where people vote on it and that's merits. One thing we do is we actually, uh, every hour, mm. we poke two unanswered questions and make them go to the top of the, the front page. No, no kidding. Yeah, it's like churning the sediment. So we're trying to get these. Yeah, you know they ha they have answers. They might have answers, but they have no upvoted answers. That is, is unanswered. That's yeah. right. Then those get poked and turned to the top. So we believe in that philosophy as well. Um, 
We still we have thirty three thousand no, un, unanswered questions. You should you should be more aggressive about that. Let's get some of these answered. Damn it! Are they? Yeah. Uh, is there a? Uh, are they mostly recent ones? Do you have any kind of preference to recent unanswered questions? So like any questions that haven't been it's, answered for a month, and the person may be gone. It has to be of a certain age. Beyond that, we don't care. I think it has to go be like more than a week old. But I can turn up the. Uh, that's a configure, configuration value. I should probably turn that up. You're right because even if we did two per hour, that's just a drop in the bucket. Should be doing more probably. I will now, do here's that. Here's a person whose whose username on Stack Overflow is Click Upvote, and his gravatar is the number thirty thousand with a little up arrow. On yes, it. I am familiar with Mister Click Upvote. <laughs> Click Upvote, we are on to you. <laughs> We're not going to fall for your little scam, Click Upvote. <laughs> Just because it says that doesn't mean we'll do it. Oh. Well, luckily we're out of time. We didn't have a chance to talk about how Craigslist is evil. Well, that's all we got for you on the oh, podcast this week. Next week we're going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, Jeff, I didn't realize you were the person that wrote, or you were one of the people that wrote a Craigslist scraping app. I did. I can talk about that in the next episode, though. All right. On the next episode of Stack Overflow podcast. Hey, um, we're back. I'm back from vacation. I'll be here all month. So if you have any questions that you want us to play on the podcast about programming or Stack Overflow, we, we really spent, this is like an all Stack Overflow all the time kind of episode. Usually right. we try to mix it up a little bit with some, you know, some recipes for, you know, <laughs> dead, dead cow or something that you can, you know, just to mix it up. And, uh, uh, but if you have anything, uh, any ideas for things we should talk about or any kind of questions that might lead to an interesting conversation, what you should do is record an MP3 file or Ogvorbis. Or, you know, people send me WAVs, but that's crazy. And email it to stackoverflow at uh, podcast. Um, dot podcast oh. at stackoverflow.com. Thank you. You're, you're actually listening to me. That's great. Email it to podcast at stackoverflow.com. We'll go back to you. If you have any questions about Dev Days, the upcoming Dev Days con con conference, conference which is going to be in 10 different cities and we still have like four seats left in los angeles or something but um there is a waiting list uh then uh, email devdays at stackoverflow.com and finally oh if you want if you have questions for us and you don't know how to record an mp3 or agvorbis file just call the podcast hotline at 646-826-3879 try to keep it under 90 seconds there's a wiki transcript wiki which volunteers around the world use to type up transcripts for the hearing impaired of these podcasts and that is linked to from the show notes, which will also have hyperlinks to all the various interesting things that we've mentioned during this podcast. And the show notes, as always, are located at a blog. That's that dot blog, B-L-A-H-G. Just kidding. Blog, B-L-O-G. Dot stackoverflow.com. That's all I got for you. See you next week. See you next week. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. 
I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.